Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. We have, oh my gosh, it's it, we have such an exciting co-host on the show today. Um, this filmmaker has been a part of our lives. Uh, her and her work have been a part of our lives for such a long time in multiple capacities, both as production designer and director. Maybe you know some of her uh, directorial efforts, including movies like 13 or Twilight or Miss Bala or the new movie that I had an absolute blast watching, Mafia Mama. And you might know some of her production design work as well from movies like Tombstone, Vanilla Sky, Three Kings, and a movie that's going to come up today a lot, Tank Girl. Catherine Hardwick, what else should the people know about you before we get started talking today? Oh, yeah. Well, another movie that people like is uh, Lords of Dogtown. Yes. A skateboard movie. That's kind of a beloved one, I guess. And and Miss You Already. I love that one with mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore and Tony Collette. But yeah, very happy to be here. It's exciting. Uh, <laughs> I used to be an architect. That's, you know, my background. I have five-year professional degree, University of Texas. Mm-hmm. And then I started building real buildings. And then I went to UCLA Animation School. And then I started getting jobs as a production designer. And between mm-hmm. every job, I would, you know, um, write a script or, you mm-hmm. know, take acting classes, take workshops, you know, try to learn and up my skill level so that I could eventually direct something. Yeah. I feel like I feel like a sort of signature of your career is the range of films that you have made and like talking about in architecture and then taking production design jobs and taking acting classes like has the sort of has the cornucopia of experience always <laughs> been something you've been looking to amass in just sort of your general approach to to how you do anything. I think, you know, like taking one of those comedy improv classes, you know, the answer is yes and if you say <laughs> yes and then you're just more open to like crazy shit or interesting stuff or learning or expanding your skill set. Mm-hmm. But I, I also had a teacher in architecture school, actually a female uh, architecture teacher said design a shelter for a rock concert that mm-hmm. could cost each person less than $5 that you could be part of a larger whole. Uh-huh. Okay. I didn't know. I'd never been to a rock concert. I'm from a little tiny town in South Texas. I didn't even barely see any pictures of it, and I couldn't imagine what it was because there were no preconceived notions. If you tell somebody to design a house, we have a thousand preconceived notions of a house, Uh of a church, of a hotel. But this, there's really no notion for it. So your brain has to stretch. And the teacher said, let your brain stretch like those cartoon animals. (laughs) The mouth could be big enough to swallow a whale, you know, so just keep stretching your brain. And I think that was some revolutionary things for me that really helped me to say, just always imagine, what if I did have to do that? What if I did have to design a rock concert thing? Let's just try something. So instantly I would start drawing something and I'd look at my drawing. Okay, maybe I could add to it, make it better. Mm -hmm. Do this, do this, do this. So I just always tried to live up to that challenge, I guess, that that teacher, Daria Fisk, said to me, you know, first in front of me. Well, it feels like with like the movie, we have actually very, this is the first time this has happened on this, on the show for us talking about 
another character for a second time. Because even in a recent episode, I had a filmmaker friend of mine who started in production design and is going into directing. She chose Tank Girl as her identifying oh. character as well. And she's she's like about like 32. And so when you said that you wanted to do Tank Girl also, I was so excited because like I think oh. it's just such a I I want I'm I'm so excited to engage in the exercise of seeing how the same character, it's a completely different conversation with different people because it's just internalized so separately and how narrative hits each person intimately in different ways. And mm-hmm. and I, I want to touch on the bit about like what you just said about design a rock concert. You were the production designer on Tank Girl and this is the, <laughs> the, the film you have also brought. That feels like the movie version of designing a rock concert, kind oh, of. It is. And that's, I hadn't even thought about that story until now because it is re- really relevant. Like, you have no idea what the sets are supposed to look like when you uh-huh. read the script. You know, I mean, we have the great comic book, but it, you know, it wasn't like these sets weren't really in the comic book or the story wasn't really in some of the comic books. It was something created for a movie version. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know what it's going to look like. And that's what made it challenging and exciting. We have to figure out how to solve this crazy, huge problem on a limited budget. You know? mm-hmm. And so as far as like points of identification go, where were you seeing yourself in Tank Girl? I, I When I was watching this and I was 10, I was seeing myself in Tank Girl. So us having certainly different like stretches of life experience at the time, I would imagine like we were both up on the Riot Girl thing in 95 for our own separate reasons. But what was what was it about her for you that you were like, this clicks just harder? Okay, first I want to go back for two seconds because... When you said you had to figure out a character that you felt seen. Yeah. I was really struggling. I really could not think of anybody, anything, really. I was honestly looking at, okay, that character is a mother. I'm not actually a physical mother. You know, this character went through this. This character had this dilemma. This this character in a movie is all about the boyfriend or finding true love. Every character that I went through, I was like distress that I didn't feel in a way. No, and that's, that is, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that is such a big part of what I do, what I want to do here with the show is get through those like knotted aspects of like people who just don't have one-to-one avatars and like what that says about sort of the complicated nature of each of us and also about the, you know, the ways in which things have fallen short in what we have been given on screen to encapsulate the broadest spectrum of of people available. So I'm I'm glad that you have shared that that was a, a challenge for you. And honestly, it really distressed me a lot thinking that maybe I didn't do the most thorough uh, search for <laughs> ideas. I mean, I went through a few things, best female characters in yeah. movie history. I went through several searches and every one of them like, I can't really say I relate to that. I can't really say I relate to her. Yeah. I, I'm so different from that person that it made me realize that that's what's the beauty of this podcast, that we need more diversity out there, you know, in Completely agree. characters. We need more different kinds of women out there. And I love that you're doing this. That's one thing. So then I literally said to Jamie, my partner, Jamie, who the heck do you think identify with and he, his first one was how about um uh, jessica chastain in zero dark 30 i go damn okay yes she's very determined i'm a workaholic okay. but i'm like 
I don't feel that. I don't go into that dark space like she does in the yeah, military. Yeah. And it's so dark. I'm like, nope. And then he threw out Tank Girl. He goes, maybe it should be Tank Girl. I'm like, yes. I love this. Like, I've got two things. My two wolves are Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty and Tank Girl. Those are like, you know me so well. What would you say? How about these two things? But I felt like Tank Girl because, yes, yeah, she is rebel- rebellious. She's not sticking with the norm at all. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. funny and crazy. I wish that I was as funny and rebellious and outrageous as she is. So <laughs> yes. it's actually a goal that I have not achieved. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what I love is that she's so freaking whacked out creative. Of course, yeah. I love that. And so I got to go back to architecture school. Uh, so yeah. when I went to architecture school, I started with that one teacher I was telling you that she started opening up my mind. If I came with a little drawing, well, what about this? She'd go, oh, that's cool. But can it connect on a different level to mm-hmm. the other other people at the compound? Can you have the water system be connected with your web of, you know, things? She started saying, yes, in. how can you make yeah. it better, more fun? Can it? relate to the vibrations of the of the concert, you know, the mm-hmm. music. Yeah, let's have the cables relate to the vibration. So I kept trying to go deeper and deeper. So I started actually dressing up like the buildings I was designing. Wow, okay, okay. yeah. yeah. So, so I would dress up in outrageous ways. Like if I was doing like landscape architecture project, I would get a dress that was covered in like green with leaves. And then mm-hmm. I would get you know, fake leaves, silk leaves, and I would put them on my body and my, you know, all over mm-hmm. my arms and intertwine them. Then I'd go to class like that. People would be like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, amazing. I, I would wrap myself up like a package and do this. And then it, it was, was drag. You were do. you were just taking the art of drag into class. I was just doing performance art almost <laughs> every day. And it was taking me a hell of a long time to get ready to go to school. I uh-huh. realized I've got to simplify this a little bit. And but since I would always dress in the most outrageous costumes, people uh, started giving me anything that they didn't, you know, mm-hmm. Catherine will wear this, a fried, yeah. a fried egg, she'll wear that. So yes, <laughs> I would wear a fried egg so it looked like I spilled my breakfast on my skirt, you know. <laughs> like, <so>. Yes. <laughs> and I would hide in trees when I was in the camouflage with the lead. I'd hide uh-huh. in trees on the way to on the way to school and people would walk past me then I'd scare them and stuff like that. <laughs> you know? And I did crazy performance art. I would also stand there under a tree and say, can you help me get my cat? And then <laughs> they'd be like, what? I don't even see the cat. I go, you got to go around. People be climbing up trees. You know, <laughs> There's no cat. You know? But we did also political performance art for uh-huh. um, like at McDonald's. We went to a McDonald's and some people had McDonald's uniforms that they had gotten. And uh-huh. other of us were just sitting in the McDonald's. I'm vegetarian, so whatever. Okay. Sure, sure. So so anyway, uh, we're sitting in the McDonald's. And then a guy came out, ordered a Big Mac and a um, milkshake or something. Sure, 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 and yeah. So, so take a sip. And, and then he just started writhing and spasm, spasming like, like the food and all the chemicals got him sick. And he rattled off all the chemicals. He's lying on the ground. You know, flipping out. Yeah. All of us are taking our hamburgers and throwing them down, you know, running out. Everyone's protesting. And then the McDonald's fake employees came out. 
third one this week and carried him out. Of course, we got chased down the street, you know, running down in Austin, you know. And so we would do that kind of thing all the time. So (laughs) I think when I saw, obviously, like Tank Girl doing all this crazy shit. Oh, but how I how I reduced it to less. Yeah. Because it's making me too long. So one time I had a little bird. Somebody gave me a bird. I put it on my head, you know, in a little barrette. Yeah. And then I walked into a store across the drag. If, I don't know if you've been to Austin, you know, stuff like I have, yes. Whatever. Right across from the campus, there's the big grocery store, you know, whatever, drugstore. So I mm-hmm. walked in there and this lady was super grumpy. She'd been cashiering all day, but mm-hmm. she saw my little bird and she smiled. I'm like... <laughs> Shit, if I could make one person smile a day, why yeah. shouldn't I just wear a damn bird in my head? So <laughs> I wore a bird in my head the whole time when I was doing Tank Girl all the way through shooting 13. I wore a bird in my head in Hollywood. Wow. And people did think it was pretty out there. You can see some stills from 13. I've got the bird in the head. I feel like that's a really good thing to bring to 13 to really just like, hey guys, we're all in this together and it's okay. Like we're doing some (laughs) intense stuff on camera, but like there's a bird on my head. So like, let's take it back to one with that. That can be the emotional baseline is Catherine Hardwick with a bird on her head. And you know what happened though? That would, that was, the bird was like a filter because it would scare some people from hiring me. They yeah. would think, wait, how can we hire somebody that wears a bird on their head? So I didn't get a few jobs from that. But then I got some jobs from that. Yeah. You know, like, but I think in Tank Girl, I think the producers were a bit nervous, you know, like, is she going to be, you know, crazy or what? But um, the thing is, in architecture school, you know, you really have to work the right brain and the left brain. Mm -hmm. So you're always doing both sides, the creative side and the practical side. As a production designer, you have Mm -hmm. to have the set on time. You have to know the number of man days that a carpenter is going to take to build that damn set that you just designed. And you have to manage the time and everything. So I've always been able to do like that time management, right brain, left brain. Oh, okay, yeah. And when I was at UT, again... They did this test. They were trying to test right brain, left brain on people. Mm -hmm. So they went out and did this experiment on a lot of architecture students, scientists, literature, art students. And they put me through the test with electrodes and right Uh brain, left brain. At the end, I go, how did I do? You know, (laughs) how did I score? They go, we're throwing out your data. I'm like, what? (laughs) I said, something went wrong because yours was just going back and forth the whole time. But I thought that was pretty good. Like, why did you throw me out? (laughs) And that's actually what has been helpful as a filmmaker, production designer, and a director. Yeah. But, but, and does Tank, so then the question would be, how much of Tank Girl could I relate to? Sure. Crazy, creative. Stuff mm-hmm. where she would take any outfit. You're supposed to dress like this. You're supposed to, you know, go to liquid silver, remove your body hair, whatever. Yeah. She she didn't do that. You know, I certainly didn't wear the right uniform to school every day, mm-hmm. as I would be wrapped like a package or whatever. You know. Mm-hmm. So, and I I could really feel when I saw the comic, when I read the script, I'm like, I love this person that has unlimited creativity and uh-huh. rebellion and doesn't fit the box. You know, that was the part that I really related to. And then so much of it, of course, uh, I wish I could be that funny and just whip, huh. out, whip out those jokes and be that fearless. I mean, yeah. so fucking fearless. You know, <laughs> yeah. We love that. She, she'll say anything to anybody. The fact that she stands up to, you know, sexual harassment, all, yeah. all kinds of harassment. 
is pretty awesome. Yeah, the tete-a-tete between her and Malcolm McDowell of like, I'm going to break you, I'm going to win. And after every trial he puts her through, she's just back-talking him. And when he pushes, she pushes him to his breaking point and just looks at him like, I won. <laughs> through like the rasp and like she's been in a tube for probably days, like just being tortured. Hmm. Well, I'm so glad you see things my way now. You know what I see? No. What? This big honking booger hanging out of your left nostril. And if I was you, I'd use this finger to pick it out. <laughs> I win. She's so fucking rad. <laughs> She's so rad. And I was thinking about that too. You know, in cool. a way, as a production designer on Tank Girl, I was kind of put through a lot of the Tank Girl stuff. Like we had found a missile silo. There's an abandoned missile silo outside wow. Tucson. That's that we were building this tube in there. It was so freaking cool. We wow. built the tube to match it. You know, everything was all working. We'd been there six times and measured it. And then like, about two days before shooting, they said, you're not allowed to film in the, this abandoned missile silo anymore. So I'm like, ah. so, you know, the obstacles would come to me. I've got to find a new place for the two. We were filming on a, uh, a location on an abandoned copper mine. And uh -huh. so, and it had machinery and all kinds of crazy ass shit. Wow. So I'm just walking around like, I got to find a new place for the two. <laughs> I'm like crawling around, riding the bike, looking down in these freaking tunnels. Okay, I found a tunnel. You know, <laughs> let's build it in this tunnel. You know, so every day there was something just wilder than wild. And, you know, we had a chemical spill, that huge place where we did this kind of beautiful glass box where you mm -hmm. see all the, we got all the machinery to work, come back to life. It'd been dead for like 10 years. We wanted wow. to come back to life. And we somehow, the construction guy got the motors, got the belts going back. So it looked amazing. And it was this killer place to film it. But then a toxic spill came out. And we, and like, <laughs> a to I'd never been in toxic spill. And nope. suddenly you're just sitting there like, I'm working at my desk doing a drawing. And I, I feel this smell. And then I just started running. I ran like two miles. Everybody in the art department just ran like two oh miles. Oh my God. Like, trying to breathe air and get away from it. No one had to tell you. No alarm had to go off. You know. Whoa. Every day there was another thing like that. Like one day, you know, the tra the little trailers where she lived in. Yeah. Um, one day I'm looking out the window because I put my office right there on the copper mines. Mm -hmm. And I see all a large plume of smoke coming out mm -hmm. of it. I get on the radio. What the hell is going on? I called the painter was trying to age the trailer and he caught it on fire. Oh okay, my so God. Suddenly we have a trailer on fire. Everybody's running over there. And at the end, I'm like, I looked at it. I'm like, well, actually it looks kind of cool. The melt. <laughs> let's just use the melted look for this scene, you know? So yeah. we use, we use the melted look. <laughs> 
That is, I feel like any production designer I know, that is like the story of production designing. It's like, how do I spin gold out of straw? How do I take these four cents in my hand and turn it to a million dollars on screen? I can see how that left brain, right brain combination comes really in handy with the logistics and creativity required for that job. You're absolutely right. And and we see Tank Girl being extremely creative. Like, yes, everything somebody throws at her, she's got to figure out a new way to, mm-hmm. like, get around it, sneak through this, sneak through that. So, yeah, I think there were... And her tank is so fun. You know, we put the barbecue pit on there and the <laughs> umbrella and, you know, all the kind of cool stuff. That was... That couldn't have been a more fun job for yeah. a production designer. They don't get better than that. (laughs) When you were, you know, reading like the script and you were starting to do this movie and and you felt this like strong pull to this character, did Rebecca feel unique among other female characters you were seeing even in the 90s, which like as we look back on it has like this very like art girl sensibility, the cool kids like young Christina Ricci and Chloe Savigny Mm -hmm. and obviously the riot girls and third wave feminism and like did it feel even apart from those things at the time? Was there a uniqueness about about her and about the story, about the movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think she takes it to, you know, 11 or yeah. beyond. I mean, because she's so outrageous and so free and, yeah. and fearless. I mean, first of all, we're in the imagination of Jamie Hewitt, you know, the yeah. comic book artist, and Rachel Talley, of course, too. I think, you know, that you have mutant kangaroos. Okay. Yeah. That's already <laughs> amazing. And uh, no, even as cool as all those girls are, I don't think they got to star in anything quite as fun as this, or did they? <laughs> yeah. This was a maximum fun. <laughs> I'm trying to think because in real life, I mean, still to this day, everyone you just said, I think mm-hmm. are still amazing. And we've seen them yeah. on, only to be even more creative and interesting yep. and flourish and still stay unique. And I mean, Jesus, look at Natasha Leone, look at Christina, look at everything, all of them. Everything yeah. they're doing is so cool. And Chloe and everything she does. So I... I worship them, but I'm trying to think what are their best movies that they got to do a role where they really got to be like themselves? What would those be? Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's and it's interesting looking like like a career of a Christina Ricci where like she starts out so young and becomes like a sensation through things like the Adams Family and things like Casper and now and then. And then there's like sort of this distinct break where you have like a Buffalo 66 and <laughs> she gets into sort of like alt very like sexually forward films where she is like I am very much not a child anymore I am an adult woman who makes movies for grown for grown people and sort of like the sort of rock and roll edge of her that she has um and then Chloe Savigny just being impossibly cool and beyond the sphere of like approach it's like oh no you would be the girl (laughs) in my high school who'd be doing cool art and I would have no idea what to say to you because you're just so rad that does remind me in 13 I don't know if you remember, but Evie had a shrine to Christina Ricci on her wall. (laughs) It was like that was her goal, you know, life goal. And I felt so excited that Christina said yes, that we could do that. Or at least I think she said (laughs) At least I I hope she said (laughs) We are going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back with more of the delightful Catherine Hardwick. Then I will have one quick thing before I go about 
season two of Somebody Somewhere and a prized alum of the Feeling Scene podcast, Bridget Everett. So stick around for that. Hey there, beautiful people. I am your favorite authoress, Trayvell Anderson, of We See Each Other, a black trans journey through TV and film. You know this is supposed to be a promo for our show, Fanti, and not your book, right? It's called Multitasking. I can't with you right now. Trayvell and I have an award-winning <laughs> show called Fanti that we both host, and it's a podcast where we dig into the complex and complicado mm-hmm. conversations about the gray areas in our lives. Perhaps there is a public figure of some sort, and you're like, oh, that person's so smart and so charming, but you're also like, oh, that person gets on my nerves. Okay, okay. You can catch us every week right here on Max Fun or wherever you get your slayworthy audio. And you can watch us on the YouTube every Friday. That's Fanti. F-A-N-T-I. Since we reached our highest milestone during the Max Fun Drive, we are creating a Max Fun Foley library full of sound effects from your favorite hosts. The whole Max Fun community will be able to use it. So, what would you like it to feature? People high-fiving? Walking through mud? Chicken clucking? Jazz kazoo? Head to MaximumFun.org Foley. That's MaximumFun.org F-O-L-E-Y and submit your ideas. We're excited to make this silly thing together and even more excited to see what you all create with it. And thank you again for a great Max Fun Drive. Back to Feeling Scene. My co-host today is Catherine Hardwick, whose work as a director started 20 years ago with 13, which starred a young Evan Rachel Wood and Nikki Reed, who also co-wrote the film with Hardwick. Catherine might be most well-known for directing the first Twilight movie, but her new film, Mafia Mama, starring Tony Collette and Monica Bellucci, transcendent women both, is in theaters now. So let's get back into it. Female friendship is so central to your whole career. And and I love, I love the relationship of Jet and Rebecca in Tank Girl. Like that yes. was that was one of the first like on-screen dynamics that I really latched on and made sense to me. Like that duo, and it was kind of queer and like kind of punk. And then you get into things like 13, which is obviously just like these two girls against the world, Nikki Reed and Ever Rachel Wood. And even coming up through now into Mafia Mama. The thing that excited me most about Mafia Mama was like the central romance in this movie is kind of the friendship between Monica Bellucci and Tony Collette. And I was like, I didn't know I got to expect this in this movie. So I wanted to hear you talk about that as a through line in your work and, and why that seems to be important to you. I think that's really cool. Like you said, Jet Girl and Tank Girl having yeah. their friendship. And that was the first time I'd ever seen Naomi Watts on screen. And I Me just too. That was the first time. <laughs> loved her. She's like so rad. I was, I remember, you know, because I would go talk to her like, oh my God, I'm, I'm watching you in dailies and you're just such a badass and you're going to be the biggest star in the world. I thought she was just going to shoot off into the stratosphere. She did. But uh-huh. it was not. It was several years later with Mulholland. Right. Yeah. I think. I think Mulholland Drive was two thousand one. Yeah. So it was a while for the world to catch up with how awesome she is. But you, you love those two girls. I mean, 
the super extroverted one, mm-hmm. the other, the supportive and one. The but- protectiveness, the protectiveness between the two of them, like the way the way Becca looks after Jet from the from the first when she sees her being sexually harassed in the workplace mm-hmm. and is like, I'm going to intervene and I'm going to take care of you. And then like, hey, we're friends now. And just I really identify with that extremely automatic sense of like, no, I found you and I picked you. So we're friends now. So we're just going to act like we've always been friends. And that really resonated <laughs> with me. Oh, that is so cool. And also it's so me too ahead of its time all of Mm -hmm. that stuff that you know she was not going to put up with it she stood up she got her great revenge you know all of those things it's naomi watts saying naomi watts pointing pointing the gun at that at that military guy and saying like how many times do i have to tell you i don't Don't want to is one of my favorite line deliveries in history yes fuck me How many times do I have to tell you? I don't want to. And just when blowing the smoke off the end of the gun after she eradicates him, one of my favorite movie moments ever. It's so good. No. Oh, it's so good. And then I think you're right. The two girls against the world. I love the way you said that in 13. Mm -hmm. Of course, when, when, Evie and Tracy get together. They're just this like force. And it's so fun, crazy, almost, you know, too much, too much. Mm-hmm. We're sleeping in the same bed. We're doing everything. We're living together. We're, you know, it turns into this insular thing. I love that. At two girls against the world. And then when the breakup happens, devastating. To yeah. Both. Devastating. And I saw that with Nikki and her friends. They would be just so close, almost breathing the same air as each other. And then when something happens, it's nuclear, you know. There's there's no other there's no there's no quieter volume for it. Like when when that kind of intensity exists, if if something starts to crack, it just explodes. Yeah. I mean, that's why we wrote the movie. Yeah. Because it was we we wrote it on Nikki's real life, you know, experience mm-hmm. she was going through. And that intensity cranked like to a thousand, I would say. Yeah. Not even a left that we're going yep. all the way that every single thing, there's a moment in 13. I just love, you know, it's such an outrageous line, but it seems so true. When she's, when Tracy, Evan Rachel Wood is telling her mother, and they're about to go shopping on Melrose, mm-hmm. okay? And she's about to go. Mom's like, i got to call her guardian. Is it okay to be alone? Find some really cute black hands or maybe some of that body glitter. No, no, Mom, it's okay. You can just drop us off and then go on an errand or something. Oh. Um. Okay. I guess that'll be all right, maybe for an hour. I have to talk to Evie's mom, though. Brooke is just my guardian. Great, thank you. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I haven't talked to Brooke yet. Mom, please don't do this to me. This is the best day of my life. I'll kill you if you embarrass me. Okay. Okay. And she's like, Mom, this is the most important day of my life you know and i'm like that is so outrageous but it's so true for her it's so true is the most important day she has to go on that shopping trip with this girl it's everything to her 
you know, and I, I love that, you know, that so like people say, why do you do a lot of teen things? Because that's the most dramatic time in your life where yeah. everything is so heightened and everything mm-hmm. matters, you know? No, and I think that I think that's the enduring power of of that first Twilight film in particular is that notion of ruinous, incapacitating, <laughs> all encompassing, like falling for someone, <laughs> falling in love as a teenager, and just like the way she just like she sh- fully shuts down over like the consequence of just like the slightest shift in her life with this, you know, with Bella and Edward. I think that is truly the genius staying power of like, even you if you don't love Bella, you can't say Bella is an inaccurate depiction of teenage free for all love and romance. Oh, I, I love it. When I read the book, I was thinking, you know, how as a filmmaker can I capture the same feeling that you feel when you read the book? That yeah. You real, can I create that ecstatic, you know, obsessive feeling on screen that you're yeah. just, you feel it, you feel it in your bones. And that was what, you know, I saw in Kristen Stewart when I saw Into the Wild, when she Absolutely. goes in that trailer and she's sitting there looking at Neil Hurst. I felt her longing was just palpable. And she did it in such a powerful way that as soon as I saw that scene, I'm like, I have to have Kristen. You know, yeah. she is the one that's going to give that intense longing, you know. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what she did in the movie, what Rob did in the movie, you feel it. You know, you just feel that and and even if I've had 88 year olds women and I've had <laughs> guys that are you know in their 50s every age that yeah I've felt it I know I'm not the demographic but I felt <laughs> it I remembered what it was like to be in love you know and I want a boyfriend now but <laughs> ladies in retirement homes are telling me this. <laughs> I've decided So that's what you dream about, becoming a monster. I dream about being with you forever. Forever. And you're ready right now? Yes. Working from something like like Tanker, where you so you know you feel so strongly about this character for a world that you're helping build around her, I and you know talking about what, liking you know wanting to sort of work in the space with like teen characters because that's where everything is the biggest. I wanted to like you know in the notion of the feeling scene conversation, you are making these movies for you know with affecting with these like friendships romantic relationships where it's like you want the people to feel in it in the biggest possible feelings that you can conjure and I wanted to talk about why that's important to you why as a filmmaker it's like no that's the thing that really gets me going is these kinds of relationships that make you ache like this person aches that make you feel like the world is coming down around you like it does for the two girls in 13 and like the the very much us against the world in the case of like tank girl and jet so like i I wanted to hear about that as like an important as a priority for you in storytelling it being that kind of evocative okay yeah so that's kind of like talking like full immersion okay Mm -hmm. like it's method acting it's method writing it's Mm -hmm. method directing in a way I mean, they all kind of go together. I felt like when I my first movie that I made, 13, I wanted to put you right in that house. I wanted to put you 
right next to Evan Rachel Wood, right next to Tracy. Every minute you felt what she was feeling. Mm-hmm. I was experiencing it myself when I went to Nikki Reed's house and I sat there in the kitchen and I would see a giant fight between her and her mom. Whereas mm-hmm. six months before they had been incredibly tight almost right. so intense and so bonded and now i saw these explosions and i was just a fly on the wall i would be trying to be like hey can't we talk through this hey yeah. you know no <laughs> then one would be running out of the room going into the bedroom slamming the door the other would be chasing it and i'm like oh my god this is like war photography i wanted to film it like war photography where you don't know where the next bomb is going to go where you yeah. have to chase that or I had to run into the next room. So it had, and there was some kinetic and Nikki was so alive, you know, and her emotions were changing so quickly that I had to make it just in my mind, it could not be static shot. It mm-hmm. had to be immersive. You had to be there with her. I think the immersion in it, you know, just kind of like really drop you in and feel yeah. it is what I tried to do there. And I, I do want to talk about like Tony and Monica. Because- I would love for I would love to hear about Tony because I, I, that is such a like as we get more material because I'm I am a panromantic gray sexual person. My love stories are my friendships. Like that's what I look. That's what I connect with in any movie. And we're getting more and more of that now. But what we're not getting we're we're getting more of it more slowly is with women who are over the age of 40, like with adult women. It's not just like, you know, it's not just kids and in these intense lives. It's not just like pretty 20 somethings, like adult women finding solace in one another and having like these primary relationships that are like these platonic core, like mature women relating and connecting and and taking care of each other. And that is so cool uh, because as we see, you know, actually, there's three women, I would say, in, in uh, Mafia Mama. There's mm. Sophia Nomvet, her lawyer yep. friend. And right off the bat, you see Sophia telling her, you need to get in touch with yourself. You need to care about yourself. You need to get your feet pounded, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> she, she's already telling her, you know, being supportive, go on that trip. Enjoy mm-hmm. it. Have your eat, pray, love. eat, pray, fuck, you know, all yes, that. Yes, absolutely. She's really pushing her. And then it's kind of funny if you think about it. She calls her up and says, oh, yeah, I accidentally killed somebody. Okay, that's cool. It's going to be okay. <laughs> she's supporting her even when she's killed somebody. Then when she she's, it's, it's seamless. It's seamless. It, it does not stop. Ride or die. She's there for her. When she's you know arrested, she flies over there. I'm going to get yeah. your ass off. She takes it to the limit of being yep. the supportive friend, like all the way, putting yourself in jeopardy. Pretty amazing. And Monica is mm. this beautiful, Monica uh, Bellucci is this beautiful, elegant, controlled, and still dangerous. She's Catherine, I can't imagine what it's like to actually talk to Monica Bellucci face to face. I can't actually, like, she's so extraordinary. I can't. I can't conceptualize of talking to her like I would talk to a person. <laughs> Believe me, I was quite intimidated because, I mean, she's amazing. She's amazing. You you see her. She has the voice that is so mesmerized. Oh. I'm like, I'm basically hypnotized by talking to her. <laughs> yeah. But she's like, I would, whatever she'd ask for, I'd be like, whatever you want, I would do it, <laughs> you know? But the thing about Monica, she immediately actually put me at ease and puts everybody at ease. And mm. she's very warm and she's mm. very loving. And she'll call you Bella and, you know, oh. sweet things. And you're just kind of like, you're even melting more, you know, because she, 
so lovely to you. And she's the thing that was fun about Monica. She's very creepy. You know, she put wanted to push the comedy. She hadn't done that much comedy. I was so excited to yes. get to see her and Tony Collette not in a desperate harrowing situation and yes. Monica Bellucci not in like not in like a killer be killed situation but like in a sad way like that it was like that it was these two women just getting to have a good time getting to make jokes with each other. Yes, that was so fun. And I think that you know we've all been through the pandemic and all that. We've all get the news every day. Everything <laughs> negative yes. happening, but finally this one is quite fun you know yes they are getting to have fun i was listening to something the other day about your inner child and mm. you can see that tony and monica in real life they are connected to their inner child they mm. do love to have fun they do like to connect with the joy so the joy of working together it's almost like dark light tony being bubbly monica being more refined but mm -hmm. support they both support each other compare contrast and they're both, you know, very outrageous. The beds, the day bed scene where she the climbs. The day beds. I was on the floor. I was on the floor during that. I was like, what is happening right now? Oh, my God. You guys, you got to see Mafia Mama to watch this scene. Oh, my God. You have to see that. That day bed had a lot of crazy shit going on. Because <laughs> remember the cousin? His his is outrageous, too. Where he yeah. That's the figure. And he's like, this one. And the girl, you know, and then <laughs> Monica comes up. I felt like there must be something magic on this day bed that is it's stirring really up. bringing some, everything out in everybody. Everybody's getting wild. I didn't even know half of that stuff was really going to happen. I was like, <laughs> okay. They're like, can we try this girl? No furball. No, no espresso machine. I'm like, let's do it. Monica's like, can I climb on top of her? I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Collaborative filmmaking. It's, that's what's really fun when fun, smart, expressive actors get there mm -hmm. and they've been thinking about their character and they add, they bring a gift to you. You know, they mm -hmm. come up, let me try this. And you're like, let's try it, man. Let's do it. Uh, that, that, and so Monica was like that. She wanted, she pushed it. If I threw her any little line, like maybe you eventually had sex with that mob boss that just died. Yeah. She goes, oh, I like that. Ciao, Carnetto. You know, <laughs> yeah. blows him a kiss. And just the way she does it, I'm like, it's so elegant. You're just like, oh yes. my God. When she says the word Bella, you know, you're like, oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's completely disarming. It's absolutely unbelievable to watch from a distance. So the idea of watching it actually with a three-dimensional person in front of me is doesn't feel like anything I could actually survive. Yes. Well, I'm sure you would, but it was <laughs> because she makes you feel good and right. makes it fun. And, and I don't know how she does it. It's very effortless. Because well, and, and Tony Collette is one of the great tour de force performers of our of our age of our time. Well, Tony, uh, we know she can do anything. She can do all the dark stuff. But I, I'm so sad. I didn't want to see her thrown down a staircase. Any, I did <laughs> yeah. not want to see her, you know, in a serious role and getting murdered. You know, no. Yeah. I Give wanted, me Muriel's <laughs> wedding, Tony. Exactly. Let Tony loose. You know. <laughs> yeah getting toward the end of my time, which I'm so sad about with you. Um, I wondered, like, what do you feel like is 
are central pieces that you are missing in characters from the great breadth of cinema that you consider to come on talking about this, talking this podcast? What were sort of core tenets to yourself that you feel like have been absent that like you maybe want to bring to the screen yourself and be like, shit, I'm, maybe I didn't think about it before, but I guess I've just been missing this piece that maybe I want to make and do. Yeah, I haven't seen that many, uh, let us say, a creative soul on camera that mm-hmm. has is pursuing an artistic passion or, you know, struggling in that kind of world. I mean, of course, there has to be another plot to it, too. But, sure, sure. But, you know, there's a lot of times where you'll see, we'll decide, you know, that person is going to be an architect, so we're going to put a model in the background and we yeah. know they're an architect that might be all you ever see about them but about their passion um you don't see very many women having a passion i mean there have been i was thinking yeah. there have been some i mean frida you know Kahlo, yeah i love that movie you know the idea that we see a painter you know creating so there are a few of them but not very many if you yeah. really think about it i mean how often do we see somebody it's got that, you know, buyer, because obviously we know history has written out a lot of wonderful women artists. We haven't known about these female artists. Now you go to museums. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more. I notice a lot more shows in Europe that have women artists in the museums because I think mm. people have felt guilty about leaving out women artists and just eliminating them in our persons of color so now there's a big effort to do that but Mm -hmm. some of these people are like in their 70s 80s and 90s didn't get any recognition earlier when they could have really flourished even more you know Mm -hmm. so yeah i guess i guess it's fun to go back and maybe discover some of those great stories and Mm -hmm. and and uh, bring those women to the screen that would be very cool well, and, and in, you know, your your films are for everyone, but like the, the protagonists, thankfully, we get options for like, you know, the girls and the gays and the theys and the thems out there, like th- these more queer leaning characters. And then also like, I've read you talk about how like, you know, financing is hard. Like you have to do more with less now, but also at the same time, allegedly, like there is more equity in who gets to make movies and tell stories. So I wanted to hear about sort of like the broadening landscape of what seems like it's possible narratively with the kind of tightening landscape of what is available financially and how like that great progress thing collides with that big challenge and how you can kind of like well great I could possibly have more opportunities to tell different stories with less resources than ever like how do you balance that as somebody who is a veteran of this industry who's worked at so many different capacities in it oh my god okay I literally just had a Zoom right before this about a movie that has a woman, an older woman, and her grandson in the mm. movies. Mostly those two characters. And, of course, the budget was, you know, tight, yep. tight, tight, this many shooting days. I'm like, wait a minute, guys. How can we shoot it in that many shooting days? Yeah. This many locations. But, you know, there's a reality now that we are all having to face of course, after the pandemic and people started going to movies, but, yeah. you know, and a lot of great theaters closed, Arclight, Landmarks, you know, around mm-hmm. here. It was just heartbreaking because you could see movies about smaller, quirkier, weirder characters. So, I like, how do you get the word out? I know Bleecker Street's been trying to let people know about Mafia Mama, but it's, mm-hmm. it's also hard. It costs money to let people know that totally. that movie is in a theater, you know. So... I think it's a challenge that 
people are even more conservative with what they will green light. Is it based mm. on, you know, where the crowd seeing a huge best-selling book, right? We'll yeah. make it if the book was giant or if it's a Marvel movie, but a lot of the other movies are squeezed out and don't get that theatrical run. So mm-hmm. then they can go to Netflix. We got streamers. Yay. Mm-hmm. You can see them. You can find them in other ways too. But, you know, all of that's challenging. How much money will it be made for? It's crunch. Yeah. And then as a filmmaker, I'm literally, I'm shooting, I'm working on a Hulu series right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm also in the remote editing room after this call. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at <laughs> the fact that here we had to shoot four and a half pages in three hours. So I only got you know, one take on that or two yep. takes on that. We didn't get to play around when, when we found a little bit better blocky after like a couple of takes. That means we didn't have a master, you know. So yeah. it's very hard to like really shape a scene when you're literally on a clock. I mean, I literally was told on the Hulu show, Catherine, now you got seven more minutes. You've got three more minutes. You've got one more minute. You've got one hour, they just give you a time. You got to do uh-huh. it in this many hours. I mean, it's always like that, but you yeah. know, it seems like it's getting almost more wow. radical, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so on TV, there's a lot more opportunity, uh, a lot of progress for uh, women directors and persons mm. of color. Mm-hmm. Way, you know, a huge percentage of shows are going that direction. But on mm. TV, I'm sure, and streamers, it's really the showrunner's show, not the director's. Right, so yeah, yeah, even yeah. even after the director gets our cut, there's, I think, maybe four to five to six more rounds of people that are going to recut the scenes. Right, okay, wow, so the yeah. the director has a lot less power in the streaming world or a lot less, you know, um, agency, I sure, guess. Sure, sure, sure. But in the, in the feature world, as you know, the recent study went backwards this year. Yep. We had yep. less women directing. Uh, so, you know, we're climbing one step forward, a little step back. But I still think it's good. The more credits you can get, you know, under your belt as an upcoming filmmaker on a streamer, mm-hmm. with streamer shows or TV shows, the better chance you might have to do your own project, you know. Mm-hmm. So who knows? I, I think it's moving forward overall. <laughs> Well, I guess my, my, my last question to you would be then when you do you feel like, you know, having worked on Tank Girl in the mid 90s, where does Tank Girl still sort of sit for you in terms of like her radicalness, her 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 fucking awesomeness? Like, how, is there anybody who has come after that could be a successor to Tank Girl or does she still sort of stand on a pedestal for you? I mean, she still is pretty damn unique. You know, yeah, that, I that, think so. That's my. That's what I think. That movie is still pretty unique. You know, it really broke Rachel Talley. We got to give her a lot of credit, but yeah. she she really broke a lot of ground with that. And some of it was maybe ahead of its time, or people, the right people, didn't figure it out at the time, sure. or, or find it at the time, or fall in love with it at the time. Though it's got a lot of love since then. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you know, not too many people have taken a big risk like that since not too uh-huh. old, not really too well but i mean our comic book characters wonder woman they're not that crazy and right yeah that's not that big of a risk <laughs> yes it's a little different yeah yeah but i like I those mean, i like those shows i like me it. too i yeah. am Bir- birds of prey as the tank girl of the dc film yes. universe is why birds of prey is my favorite of the of all of those movies yeah, that's the closest. I was going to say that that's probably the closest, don't you think? 
Yeah, I completely yes, agree. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it's the best one. Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. I, I could just keep peppering you with questions, and I unfortunately cannot do that. So I just have to say thank you so much for taking the time to join me and talk about this stuff today, Catherine. I so appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you again to Catherine Hardwick for that conversation and for helping us with our little experiment here on the show. The question was, can two different guests feel seen by the same character and yet produce a wholly different conversation? The hypothesis, I think we have proven it out to a yes. Uh, what is it? It goes like hypothesis to theory to fact or something. I'm calling it a scientific fact that yes, indeed, it worked. Uh, and please, honestly, Go see a Mafia Mama if you just want to have a good time at the movie. Grab your gaze, get out to the theaters, and have um, perhaps your most unexpected silly good time at the movies for the first half of 2023. It's a blast. Uh, Tony Collette is a blast, as always. And thank God to Catherine Hardick for talking to me about what an angel on earth Monica Bellucci was. Is That is uh, giving me my entire life right now. Uh, but as promised, my one quick thing before I go... Somebody somewhere, the charming, uh, heartrending, um, make you laugh, make you cry, HBO dramedy starring Bridget Everett as a woman who goes back to her Kansas hometown, um, grieving the loss of, of her sister. Season two begins airing April 23rd. On HBO, uh, and we like to track the alums of the Feeling Scene podcast. Bridget Everett was on last year. She brought the character of Rudy, uh, which means so much to me personally. That's a really big Feeling Scene tentpole for me, talking about the ways in which, you know, the group of people around you believing in you to to the rising tide of your of your friends and your chosen family lifting your boat lifting all boats and you know kind of being the underdog but triumphing regardless and standing on a stage in front of hundreds perhaps thousands perhaps tens of thousands of people and hearing them chant your name and screaming and shouting for you and that being a really validating wonderful experience that episode of Bridget is absolutely one of my favorites that we have done on the show Bridget is one of my favorite guests we have had on what a force of nature of a human being and somebody somewhere I have seen a few episodes uh, it it delivers exactly the the heart and the profanity and the wonderful platonic romance between Bridget Everett's Sam and Jeff Hiller's Joel that you came to know and love in the first season. There's more Murray Hill, which is always a good thing. Uh, yeah, it, it is a triumph for a feeling scene guest. It is a triumph for us as viewers to get more of the show that I personally consider to be a piece of queer television that is spotlighting friendship as life companionship tantamount to, um, you know, more, I guess, traditional sexual romantic um partnership involvement. And that is something we will always stand here on the Feeling Seen pod, uh, ascending friendship to its highest heights in our in our consciousnesses, in our hearts and our lives. So yes, hit up season two of that show. Let's get them a season three. Let's keep the let's keep the tender moments, but um Ching, uh rolling with Bridget Everett. And yeah, that is the show. We did it. You can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Scene Pod or send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. 
If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.